0: Welcome to Dragon Talk. Thank you, everyone, and welcome. I am Greg Tito, and uh, applause starter is
1: Shelly Masanova. Hi, Shelly! Yay, Shelly! <laughs> I love I love this like extremely polite applause. It's just so exciting. Say your are oh, Wait, who are you?
0: I'm Greg Tito. Oh, Oh, it does not. We yep. should do that at every table when everyone like comes <laughs> to uh, talk about their character. You're like, oh, I'm you know I'm a half elf ranger named uh, Beelzebub.
1: Yay! Hey, Beelzebub. Love I don't you.
0: know why I chose Beelzebub. Don't know either. Not really a good half elf character name. Uh,
1: you know you can't judge people by their names. <laughs> it's true. Unless uh, it's like a name they gave themselves, and well, then I feel like you can.
0: So like share.
1: That's not her real name. Oh,
0: is, I I thought it wasn't. Is it not her? Re- I mean, Madonna. She chose that name, right?
1: No, that's really her name. It's not her. swear real to name. God, that is her name. Well, maybe. Madonna Louise Tacone.
0: Oh, really?
1: Uh, yeah. What I, about
0: Lady, Lady Gaga? Definitely made up her name.
1: Nope. <laughs> her
0: real name is Bob. Lady Gaga. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Gaga's our middle
0: name. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, you should pronounce it Lady Gaga. Gaga. The, the, the real uh, Italian way of pronouncing her name. Yes. Uh, we are here to uh, talk to an amazing person named Arnie Neecamp. Do you think that's his real name? No, definitely no. not. Right. Uh, but his real podcast is named Hello from the Magic Tavern. Love it. Very funny. Uh, so Im- good. improv comedians doing all of the fun stuff. Wait,
1: this is all it is all improv, isn't
0: it? It is all improv, yeah. They oh my they 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 know like a little bit about what the character is going to be and then they just make it up from there.
1: How is it so good it's every time?
0: Cuz they're improv, they're people, they're good. So I can't wait to uh you know, pick his brain, learn all about uh the the process where that yeah. uh started, how uh you know, there's a lot of D&D crossover between uh, what's happening in the magical world of Foon uh, and all that fun stuff, and you'll find out what Foon is when we talk to Tony.
1: I would like to visit Foon. I think it sounds fun.
0: I want to. I want to find a Burger King in uh, Chicago. Be and, careful. And jump into that portal. If you
1: go, make sure you have podcast equipment with you.
0: That's a good call. Yeah. Ryan, I need all the podcast equipment I can, need, I can get, and I'm going to put it in my pocket. He
1: may or may not fall into a portal.
0: That's true. You never know when you're going to fall into a portal. I mean- you know, you just climb into a wardrobe or... Uh, but you know. there
1: is a Burger King in phone <laughs> with Wi-Fi.
0: No, I think the portal is in... Burger King is in Chicago, but...
1: You no, know, they can still... The Wi-Fi still reaches that's, through the portal? The, yeah, That's exactly. why it's, it's weak.
0: weak. It's very weak, right? No. And they have to recharge all of his laptops and all this stuff. Uh, if, if it sounds like what we're talking about is is slightly ridiculous, that's because it, it is. It
1: will make sense, though. It yes. will make sense. It's good stuff. You'll love it.
0: We have been talking about Ghosts of Saltmarsh because it is an amazing adventure that's coming out May 21st. There are two covers for it. One has an amazing uh, piece of artwork that was created by Gregor Rutkowski. That's you. That's me. Yeah, yeah. that's my, my alter ego. Um, but it looks amazing. A Sahuagin climbing up into a smaller boat with a kraken in the back on the waves, the roiling waves uh, behind Too there. Too
1: many people on the boat.
0: I love it. Um, and the alternate cover that is available only in game stores on May 21st uh, was created by NC Winters. And it's got that kind of soft touch Volo's Guide, uh, Xanathar's yes. Guide uh, feel to it with some metallicness of a Sahuagin. Again,
1: I see a theme.
0: Uh, reaching out and uh, screaming and fangs and claws uh, all over it. It's very it's very creepy. It's not good. It's not good. But it's a very cool looking cover, I will tell you that. Yeah. And again, you can only get it in game stores. So go check out uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh. If you're Do interested it. in a preview of that, uh, Shelly played in a live streamed game, Dungeon Mastered by Mr. Chris Lindsay, uh, that uh, took an adventure from Ghosts of Saltmarsh yes. and uh, expanded upon it. Did you yes. have fun doing that? at Gary, at Gary Con?
1: Yes, I did, actually. That is good. I played Flapper. Flapper. Yep. He was flying a lot.
0: And uh, not shooting down people? Or that was your, your no, short shot? He
1: did, too. Oh, short sure shot. Sure shot. Yep. She shot down people, too. I like that character. I need to play her again.
0: Yeah. I like that you're basically a beastie boy.
1: <sighs> yeah.
0: Rocking the short shot.
1: Oh. Mm-hmm. Every D&D character should have a theme song. Oh,
0: my God. I love this. Especially one that's not, uh, um, you know, protected by copyright.
1: But at your table.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, at your table.
1: Just think about that. What would your D and D character's theme song be? Like when they walk out um, onto the adventure grid,
0: <laughs> dancing on the ceiling. Oh,
1: that would be good for you.
0: That'd be good if it was like a bard or some kind of an acrobat. Uh, yeah, definitely. Or a spider. Spider. Yeah, one who uses spider climb a lot. Oh yeah. Yeah, dancing on the ceiling. Yeah. It's like it. What would flappers be?
1: Flappers. Um, the wind beneath my wings.
0: <laughs> Lift you up on eagle's wings.
1: Yes. Yeah, something
0: like that. Yeah. All right. I can see that.
1: Speaking of flapper, yeah. did you look at what I posted on your Facebook page?
0: No. I have the a, show. I have the, a Facebook the page? The Magic Garden. Oh, yes. I did see that.
1: Yes. That is amazing. The show. The show. The show we were talking yes. about.
0: Uh, yeah, it looks amazing and I was uh, definitely transported back and then I was looking Talk at the
1: magic portals, The
0: magic portal, right? I went back in time. Yeah. Time travel is very hard. Um, is. And then did you see uh, when we were looking up images of those of those women like where they are now there was like a profile of what they look like now oh. and then comparing that from now which I thought was just really I really
1: kind of cool. I feel like they'll always look like Karen and Paula in my mind.
0: They're timeless With and their long, they drink lots hair. of potions of uh, of longevity in order to make that they, happen.
1: Hung out in the magic garden with a magic tree and a squirrel. I'm pretty sure they drank lots of potions. So many you know potions. What I mean.
0: uh, so we mentioned this last week when uh, Jim Zeb was here, but we want to make sure you get it. Uh, the Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons comic series. Yes, all four issues are out and now contained in a single omnibus issue. Uh, not even an issue. A book. A, uh, a some
1: beautiful hardbound.
0: Yeah, one yeah. there's a bunch of different versions. One is hardbound. One is, uh, actually, I think there's two that are hardbound.
1: Yeah, different covers. Hardbound? Is that Lots what Lots of say? different.
0: Hardcover? Hardcover. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that one Pelham like. has an image. Pelham has images. Um, there are uh, again four different versions. One is a GameStop exclusive that includes an adventure written by Adam Lee in there. Um, there's yes. an original cover by Mike Vasquez, which was the front uh, first cover of uh, issue number one. There's a Barnes and Noble exclusive that is awesome, and it's got a uh, uh, poster included in the back.
1: They do a lot issue. of different versions. Yeah, I
0: know, I and, I and that's the way I love to consume, uh, you know, comic books and graphic novels like that. Is just like in that in that it's like format. Like a bunch. At like bulk, yeah, a little bit more in bulk. You can, you know, you can still read it pretty fast, probably like in an hour or two. But yep. it's wonderful. Uh, if you uh, didn't hear our interview with Jim Zub, he can tell you all about uh, what it was like putting that together, as well as, gosh, our previous interviews with uh, uh Patrick Rothfuss and Jim. Yes, uh, all about we did. this back in, uh, in, back in September.
1: Yep, it's great, it's really good stuff.
0: Um, on the tip for uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh, our friends at Beetle and Grimm's are putting together a sinister silver edition. You can get it pre-ordered now. Uh, it includes uh, more than 12 in-world documents and letters, a battle map uh, for uh, a whole bunch of different things, including different ships and two larger battle maps, a n- large area map, more than 30 encounter cards. These encounter cards are great. Uh, I think this is what they're referring to, but um, I started using those in my home game for, for Water Deep Dragon Heist using their Platinum Edition box, and they have... Uh, it's like a big tent, essentially, with a fold in it, and you put that over your Dungeon Master's screen, and on the front, it just has the image of uh, the monster or NPC that you're encountering.
2: Like oh. Just
0: the artwork. And then on the back, it has you know the name of what it is, as well as um, all of the stats and information for the Dungeon Master. So it's like this. I mean, a lot of people have used tents and things like that yeah. in the past, but this was just a great... Iteration to use official artwork, show that to your players in a way that's not like trying to cover it up with your hands or anything like that, Um, but it's all right there. I like to see the artwork. I do too. When I'm playing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's, as a dungeon master, it's great because, I mean, obviously, you know, I like describing things too, but there's. Sometimes like there's a, a a um a buildup or a uh, you know a bottleneck of words, when you're trying to make it looks like a it's uh,
1: it's, it's a goblin. Scary. It's just a goblin,
0: all right. You know, right, you know, then you just kind of default even to even goblins
1: it. look different.
0: Even goblins can look different. So having the artwork there, and then you know, if people recognize the artwork, that's one thing. But for people who don't know what that monster yeah, is, who have like don't have an exhaustive knowledge of the monster manual, right? You know, it can be like, ooh, like that's me. scary. What is that? I don't know what its powers are. I have no idea what it does. But I know that it's got this 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 great image.
1: Sometimes I feel like, I mean, I don't I'm not gonna meta game. I don't think people should, but I feel like I don't know things that my character would, mm. which is why back to Jim Zub's books. Yes, the yeah, we're just gonna books, yeah
0: talk about those. They're called those, the Young Adventurers Guides. The
1: Young Adventurers Guides are gonna be really helpful for people like me because yeah. they the way that they describe the monsters. um, with the beautiful artwork in there and just, like, a little background and history. Like, this monster would be found in this type of thing. And I have been known to maybe attack a monster with a spell that everybody else knows is going to have no effect on that monster.
0: You have? Like, damn.
1: I guess I should have known. I should have well, studied the monster manual. Well, more. trial and
0: error is part of the part game, the game. I also, think.
1: these monsters are totally made up. It's not like I know, like, what, what happened. I don't know. I can't even think of an example. But Whatever.
0: I, I know what you're saying. You know saying. what I mean. Yeah, um, but, but I think that's part of the, that's part of the fun is seeing. Oh, that didn't work. Let me try something else. I know, you know,
1: but then I also feel like there's five people at the table that are like, Why would you have used lightning Bolt?
0: Well, you know when yeah, you know, and the, you're, we were talking about metagaming before. Like there is uh, a large portion of that that we did in my three like long time three point five campaign where we would spend, you know, half of the session using divination spells to try to find out what we were going to be fighting. Oh, when we went in.
3: Yeah. You know,
0: because we were such high powered uh, uh, cl- characters. We were yeah. up to like level 22 at some point. So we would like do all this divination to be like, are we going to fight fiends? Are we going to fight, you know, undead? Are we going to fight these guys? Yeah. And then we would prep all of that stuff for the specific things that we were we were happening, you know. And so, you know, once you get a higher level, you can start to do some of that stuff as as a party as well. Well,
1: what do you do though as a person, not the player, not the character, Ask the player? Ask the DM. But, but if you already know, like, I I don't think my character would have this knowledge, Mm -hmm. but I do, so I'm going to attack it in this way? Or do you just pretend, like... Are you just super into, like, the character and the role-playing that you're like, I feel like my character would not know this? I mean, it depends,
0: in my opinion. I think there's definitely games in which, uh, you know, that type of metagaming wouldn't be as fun, you know? Because if you're like, oh, I know know how to kill this, but I think if you're enjoying, you know, uh, the ignorance of your character, like... Lean into that and just play yeah. it as if you were, you know, it depends on all, like if you have a whole role playing heavy group, you know, it can be really fun to be like, I'm the barbarian from, you know, another place. I don't know that I have to burn trolls, we don't have trolls where we are, right? right? That type of thing. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that's, that's another strength of Dungeons and Dragons is that, like, your party can then have those interactions, like, no, crazy barbarian, you're supposed to be doing this. And, yeah. you know, isn't that? And then all of a sudden you have these character moments that inform and get everybody. Uh, caught up in the fun of yeah. that interaction.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? Which is half of what Dungeons Dragons is all about. Yeah. The other half is about drinking lots of coffee and Mountain Dew and uh, eating Cheetos.
1: With chopsticks.
0: You <laughs> With chopsticks.
1: As we learned from Greg Tito.
0: It's a very fun thing. I've never actually done it, but I've seen people do it. You're going
1: to have to make branded chopsticks.
0: Tobar does that, you know, sometimes when he's uh, eating at work.
1: He does? Yeah, I've
0: seen him with the, with the chopsticks doing it. What's he it. eating? Um, like Cheetos or Doritos really or something like this. that, and yeah, he had it. Yeah, he was doing that. I was like, dude, I didn't even think about doing that at work because, of course, you don't want orange dust all and over your your, your computer. Yeah. yeah, I know, right? So we mentioned the uh, the Dungeons and Dragons Young Adventurers Guides yes. as being great ways to get that kind of you know meta lore into yeah. the younger folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about it with Jim Zub last week, uh, but just to make sure it's all on everybody's radar, Ten Speed Press. 10 Speed Press is putting these out. They're you know, designed for ages 8 to 12, so early readers, but they're going to have tons of information oh, yeah. for, for all ages. First two, uh, one is called Monsters and Creatures, Warriors and Weapons. Those are coming out uh, July 16th, and then two other ones will be following in the fall, Dungeons and tombs and wizards and spells. I can't wait. New artwork, uh, written and put together uh, by Jim Zub. Uh, you know, definitely a proponent and lover of the brand and Dungeons and Dragons lore and story in general. So you know, they're going to be pretty awesome, and I'm pretty psyched.
1: And I'm very impressed with 10 Speed and their. Their products, that's yeah, a good right. Video. Art and Arcana is like they they get chef, it,
0: chef's kiss. They, that's what I'm trying to do. They get
1: it. I know exactly yeah. what you were chef's kiss <laughs> on that beautiful book.
0: It's money feet,
1: it's delicious.
0: <laughs> I, I tried to so eat it, delicious. not very tasty as it turns out, but um, uh, and then one final thing I want to get make sure everybody knows about because it's coming out soon Dungeons and Dragons, a darkened wish a new comic book series um, that is written by B. Dave Walters, awesome. who you know, and yes. Tess Fowler, who makes Love amazing it. artwork uh, and has for, for years and years and years in a critical role in other uh, communities. They teamed up. They're coming out. Uh, I, I believe That's it really is exciting. March 20th, I think.
1: That's soon. Yeah. That's oh like gosh, five days.
0: I th- I, I, now I'm getting it all wrong, but I believe it is... Uh, the 19th or perhaps the 26th was their, was their most. So it'll be in stores. Uh, it's going to be amazing. Look for it. I think the artwork uh, is superb, and I've been Got going it. back and forth working with Dave on some of the uh, the storyline stuff. Really? Uh, yeah, exactly. You I mean, have I, I have been working on it, but I've just been like, you know, it would be really cool if it fed into D&D's uh, storylines that may be coming out, and uh, you know you know what it so is. So
1: if I get this comic book in March, can I maybe get some insights into the yeah, storyline? you might,
0: if you're smart. If you roll a pretty good intelligence investigation checks, you might be able to do that. Okay. Sweet. Cool. Um, so we are uh, going to throw it to our wonderful segment. I believe we're speaking about some lore that you should know very soon. Okay. Let's, uh, let's go with the bing bongs. You haven't said that in a while.
1: Yeah, we're bing bongs. Bong. Bong. Bing.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Lore You Should Know. This is the segment where we jump into tiny bits of Dungeons & Dragons lore and uh, talk about it for your enjoyment. And edification, potentially. Exactly. I used to say that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, edification's a good one, right? Yeah. I know, but I went with enjoyment, another E word. That's perfectly fine. I am Greg Tito, and I am joined by Chris Perkins. Hello. And today uh, on Lore, You Should Know, we're going to talk about the Dead Three. In our dulcet tones. In our dulcet tones. Yes. So make sure it it, it contrasts with the evil, maniacal laughter of the Dead Three,
4: perhaps. Yes. Um,
0: So the Dead Three are a group of uh, deities. Correct.
4: correct. (laughs) (laughs) Oddly enough, not so dead deities. Yeah. (laughs) Some of have come back a few times. As happens in the Forgotten Realms, gods die and come back all the time. And in this case, we're talking about three gods who all got their butts kicked, died, and have come back in new forms. Oh. And those gods are Baal, B-H-A-A-L, the god of murder, because I guess you need a god of murder. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? Bane, the god of tyranny, and Merkel, lord of bones. Mm. Um. Which which one is
0: the god of murder? Is it Merkel? Is-
4: uh, Ball
0: is Ball. the god of murder. Oh, he's just the, the
4: yes. He is he is the in some respects the face of Baldur's Gate. He is the skull that you see on the cover of Baldur's Gate game boxes. Yes, um, um, and there was an adventure uh, murder in Baldur's Gate. Exactly, was yes. A play on that as well. Right. We we did that product as a bridge between fourth and fifth edition. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that they were
0: uh, alive and then dead and then alive again. Um,
4: yeah, they got they got basically murdered at the end of the Time of Troubles. Right. And uh, then Cyric, kind of a new upstart god, rose to kind of take the mantle of their power Mm -hmm. and become this god of chaos. But, um, and Cyric's still around, being all chaos and stuff. Yeah. Um, But the the three, as happened uh, after the spell plague, many of the gods were reshaped, reformed. Hello, new edition. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, here we are, and here we are, and so uh, Ball, Bain, and Merkel came back, but uh, there, there was sort of this divine edict that came with Fifth Edition, which is that the gods have stepped away from the world or been forced to step away from the world and leave the world to mortals, right? And I mean, yeah, so cause going
0: back because we're now we're getting you know to modern times, but like. Can you talk a little bit about how these gods were introduced uh, in Ed Greenwood's, uh, you know, and the, and the first products about the Forgotten Realms? Were they yeah. always, you know, as prominent as, as they have been?
4: Well, there are so many gods in the Forgotten Realms um, that it's, it's like many others on the list, they weren't necessarily prominent in the way that, say, Mistra mm-hmm. is prominent. Um Or the way that uh, Lathander has become more prominent, Um, but they, yeah, they they trace their origins back to the earliest editions of the game, and but it really wasn't until the Baldur's Gate video games came out that that ball really kind of became a superstar (laughs) in a way among deities and became sort he became a central figure of that city and sort of what Baldur's Gate is all about. Um, yeah, but then then you mentioned the Time of Troubles, but those were
0: talked about in yeah those, novels. Exactly,
4: yes. There there was a, a series of novels that that really sort of carried that story, mm-hmm. and then Ed Greenwood released a series uh, with TSR released a series of three adventures that you could play out the Time of Troubles. Oh, okay. Um, and they were named after cities in which the uh, the the Time of Troubles sort of played out. Mm-hmm. One of them was Waterdeep, another one was Tantris. And you could, so you could actually adventure in the world of Forgotten Realms and see gods come down and start smacking each other around.
0: Right, because that was what happened in the time of troubles. That right? is essentially I.O. Io yeah. cast them out, and yes. and,
4: and they all made started, them
0: walk around as that's mortals, right. and that's they could right. be
4: killed. And, exactly, and, and so they went on murder sprees, killing each other off, um, thinning the herd, as it were. Mm-hmm. And among the casualties were these three evil gods, and. Um, the way that these gods exist now, the, these dead three, just to sort of stay focused on the topic at hand,
3: mm-hmm.
4: is they've basically said, no, we're not going to stay away from the world. Oh. We, we want to keep meddling. And so we're going to keep meddling and we don't care what the rest of you think. Mm. But the penalty for doing so is they are mortals. Okay. They are killable mortal beings. Um, and so you can encounter them still. Currently in the current state of... Yeah, the in the current realm. state of the Forgotten Realms. You can encounter them in the flesh, as it were. Mm. Um, so they are not as powerful as gods, but they are much more meddlesome. Understand. And they're still pretty mighty powerful. And they still attract followers. And so there are Baalites and Bainites and Merkelites. Uh, running around the Forgotten Realms like little toadies doing what these three uber powerful beings want mm-hmm. them to. But yeah, you can you can find them, corner them and kill them if you really aim to. Interesting.
0: So let's uh, let's go through them. So so Bain, uh, w- 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 yeah, what w- can you tell me about him?
4: So he's kind of the ringleader of the three. He's the brains of the operation for lack of a better word. Do they work um, together? Are they in concert to they- <sighs> So they're all reflective of a different kind of evil. So Bane is the lawful evil one. Mm. So he is the one what he's the man with the plan as it were, the uh and and he's the one kind of corralling the others and saying, "Hey, if we're going to accomplish our evil goals, then we need to work together. Mm-hmm. And I'll lead. I'll tell you what the plan is, and you you carry the shotgun and you carry the money bag, and we'll we'll figure this out together. Okay. Uh, so, um, as the god of tyranny or a representation of tyranny, he knows how to make people do things and get things done. Mm-hmm. And so, um, his worshipers are all about forcing their will upon those they consider to be beneath them. And in Baldur's Gate in particular, uh, they're the ones that are kind of leading the, the attacks against whatever. The Bainites. Yeah, the Bainites are. And um, that he... Bain symbol is a black gauntlet, one on the right hand, so often his worshippers have that going for them. A single black gauntlet? Yeah, Yeah, yeah one black
0: gauntlet on one hand. Um, and does he have uh, like a base of operations
4: right now? Or not he- that we know of. Okay, um, but uh, much of the Dead Three's activity is currently centered around Baldur's Gate and that sort of middle part of the Western Heartlands. Mm-hmm. So that's where you're more likely to feel their influence. And what does Bain want? What, what is? What is? And you said tyranny, so he yeah, just basically he, wants to set up rulership. He wants to. He wants to be in charge. He wants to raise a big throne and sit on it and have everybody subservient to him. Mm. With little thrones, <laughs> one to his left, one to his right for Ball and Merkel. <laughs> Although honestly, Ball and Merkel don't care about that, so those Climb chairs are to the left of me. Empty, right. Joker's two two empty man. chairs, slightly smaller than his, <laughs> to his left and right, where they can sit if they want to, and they 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 will never do that, but. Um, that's his that's his plan
0: are they uh is is bane paranoid at all since he is you know killable and and being an avatar right uh, now uh
4: uh, far be it for me to crawl into the headspace of a lawful evil tyrant but um, as dungeon master any of us have to uh, exactly i think he's his his fatal flaw is his overconfidence in himself and his fans so um (laughs) yeah i don't i don't think he has many doubts that he'll succeed. Got it. I don't think he's considered the scenario of getting killed a second time. <laughs> you know. that's, not, that's not on the plan. <laughs> We're following the yeah, plan this exactly. time. Exactly. Yes. I'm the one in charge. That's Listen right. Listen to me. Yes. Got is, he's, he's got his marketing campaign and he's got his bullet points and he's got mm-hmm. his PowerPoint presentations. Uh, he's got it all sorted out this time. There's no chance of failure. And other than not killing you, what does being a follower of Bane represent? You know, if you're you're a, a bully. You're a bully. Yeah, you get to bully people, and have somebody above you say "good job." Yeah, you're backed up by yeah. by a literal god. So. Exactly. It's yeah. it's it's kind of it's at its base level thuggery. Mm. You know, thug mentality. Interesting. Okay, so if you're
0: you know creating low level low level villains that are followers of Bane, like that's mm-hmm. that's a character trait that anybody can use.
4: Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And and if, when you meet a Baneite, they're just like they're like. Thugs with very high opinions of themselves mm-hmm. and they like to lord over their lessers. By, by using the word thug, is it mostly
0: martial type of characters? Yeah. Or yeah. Okay. Yeah. They don't, there's not a lot of wizards, not a lot of sorcerers. No, no.
4: In fact, in The Dead Three, if you want magic, you want to talk to the Merkelites. Ah, okay. Um, because while the Bainites are largely fighters um, in the sort of class sense of the word, yeah. the, they're warriors armored and yeah. using weapons to beat you into submission. Well, there may be clerics to, as well. Right. right? They, they at least, can uh, fall upon yes, the Bane, yes, you know, and the exactly. The, yes. There, there may be priests of Bane leading them, but even they, but uh, even they are you know, armored weapons bashing you over the head with a morning star mace until you submit to their will. Got it. With their black gauntleted hand. <laughs> and then <laughs> I got the yeah. image now. All right. It's gross.
0: Uh, exactly. and then, so the Mercolites are a little bit more, uh, the
4: Mercolites are necromancers, mm. um, their their deity, uh, who again is mortal, is Merkel. He is the Lord. He's called the Lord of Bones because he is about all things dead, mm. uh, uh, skeletons, corpses. He hangs out in graveyards. His lair is probably under a graveyard somewhere, some sort of necropolis, I'd reckon. Yeah, uh, he is completely driven by dead things in all kind of the worst aspects of that um, foul degenerate kind of creature he is and his followers are mostly necromancers or channel necrotic energy in some way Mm -hmm. and they of the dead three um, basically use their magic to uh, desecrate corpses corrupt them and transform them into uh, lesser undead the likes of skeletons and zombies which they can just use as minions uh, you know you always repurpose the bones if you can get your hands on them right You can be a servant many times and right yeah. exactly yeah.
0: yes uh, so is as was merkel a necromancer uh on his own or, yeah. yeah yeah yeah, and then did was he did he get ascended into godhood that mm-hmm. type of thing or was it was you know the the conception was that he was always a, a
4: god uh that 's a good question i don 't know the answer to
0: um, all right. Uh, I, 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 gosh, that's been a long time since I've been able to stump you like that. Yeah.
4: Uh, I remember... Um, I, yes. Uh, just going quickly back through the lore. Uh, la- I worked on... My first contact with Merkel was back working on Dungeon Magazine issue 73. And we did an adventure called Eye of Merkel, Ah. And uh, featured his minions extensively. Um, he ascended to Godhood alongside Ball and Bane. Um, they were essentially mortal men.
0: Oh, okay. So he probably was a, an yep. actual necromancer who, who, who got his comeuppance to, yes. uh, to be a god. Yes,
4: he was a human necromancer.
0: Um, so you, you mentioned that he was you know, hanging out in graveyards and, and uh, uh-huh. uh, do you think warlocks would use Merkel as a, as a patron for anything like that?
4: Oh, that's an interesting idea. I, I could see that. It, yeah. It could be. It's, it's a little bit different because our core warlocks basically focus on either Faye. Or um, archfiend, or sort of great old ones. Yeah. But I could imagine in a campaign, Merkel or a fragment of Merkel being essentially a warlock patron.
0: Yeah, and also since he's not, you know, he's 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 a god, but
4: he's got a yep. a, a different state of being right now. So. Right. And uh, Merkel appears these days as basically a skeleton, mm. an animated skeleton of a man wearing black robes and a black cowl. So his face is kind of hidden and obscured, and his followers kind of mimic his appearance. If they're not dead themselves, they try to look dead. I see, right? Um, <laughs> through makeup and disguise, like, look, sometimes I'm just like yeah. you, buddy. Yeah, or they'll <laughs> do weird ass shit, like tear their faces off and you know, rip them, flens them through some sort of magic, and so they're living but sort of skeletal in appearance. Gross very gross uh but i I like that that image of having a
0: character or, or a uh, adversary that is just hooded and cowled until you get like one
4: glimpse of like oh wait that's right there's a there's a skull face under there, yeah, so not surprisingly, the Bay Knights like having the Merkelites around because hey, you know undead minions that we can throw at our enemies mm-hmm. you know till we're blue in the face that's kind of nice, but otherwise they're just kind of creepy and weird and, and kind of leave the Merkelites to their dead things and.
0: And are they are they you um, know, generally more neutral or are they?
4: No, mercolites tend to be um, on the evil spectrum. Neutral evil. Neutral which means, evil means uh, law and chaos don't really concern them. They're basically concerned with their own um, studies and academics. Exactly. And, yes. And, and you know. And the, yes. And, and, and they're always and, on... exactly. And these are always very foul experiments that they're conducting. Interesting. Okay. Cool. And then and then you're right. The, the Act
0: being like, okay, I'll be the tyranny. I'll be the leadership. Merkel, you'll be the the person who creates, or your followers will be the ones who create right. our army.
4: Yes, and we'll also use your your spell casting ability for other things too, artillery, things like that. Got it. Yeah.
0: Um, so then, how does how does ball fit in?
4: So ball, not surprisingly, is very attractive to assassins. Mm. Um, the god of murder uh, basically has assassins as followers, rogues too. Um, but basically, killing is his thing. Painting the streets in blood is balls forte. So the, yeah, that's interesting. And so it's
0: not just the, yes. the, the the being of dead and raising right. of, of creatures like Merkel and it's not the
4: control and the and the, right. the cruelty of Bane, but yes. it is the, the act of taking life away. Exactly. And so, not surprisingly, his followers tend to be chaotic evil.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: they just they just want to tear down people. Um, Tear through people and civilization. Do they have an
0: idea of like Um, ripping down order? in a way
4: very much so. They they abhor any sort of um, societal imposition Mm -hmm. on their ability to kill. A very survival of the fittest attitude. Barbarians sometimes are drawn to Merkel or not Merkel Ball because of that uh, bloodlust that he he seems to crave.
0: As well as that anti-civilization kind of feel. Exactly. Yeah.
4: Exactly. So it's kind of a weird. It's a weird combination to have Ball and Baldur's Gate together because um, here you have a sort of a bastion of civilization on the coast, and you have this god who's constantly trying to tear that down. Um, but I, for whatever reason, uh, Ball lights like to hang out in Baldur's Gate. Probably because it's a nice killing ground. <laughs> you can, you can kill people, and everybody's so preoccupied with their own lives they don't seem to care. Interesting. Yeah, there is an apathy in Baldur's Gate that I guess Ball would find appealing.
0: Yeah, and I've heard, and, and you know, I, I apologize if I'm repeating something that I've said before, but like that, uh, if you were to map it to you know the DC con- Comics universe, Waterdeep would be a metropolis and a much more of a bastion mm-hmm. of of uh, of the good in civilization where. Baldur's Gate is the Gotham Is the, yes. the, the, the you know always kind of in darkness a lot of lawlessness happening there there's people who are fighting for, for law in Baldur's Gate but it feels like it's almost a losing battle
4: exactly, yeah and Baldur's Gate is known for its thick fogs and a lot of people travel in escort because you don't want to walk through the fog in that city at right. any time of day you're likely to get mugged and murdered right, because uh, the, the ball lights are, are there as well yes, yes
0: uh, so assassins, you know, uh, how did? They, how, how, what are the tools that Bane is going to use? These assassins—is it—is it like sending them out on missions, that
4: type of thing? So with Ball, it's just go forth and murder. Mm. I'll be over here murdering somebody else. Um, they're, they're, I'm not sure Ballites really get any sort of orders. Mm from their Dark Lord. They simply call upon Baal to, you know, give them the strength to slash their way through the guts of society. And if he does, great. If he doesn't, great. But all of the dead three, to some extent, can empower, like all gods, even though they're in mortal form and can be killed, they can imbue upon their mortal subjects some measure of their power. Mm. And that's, what, that's how we ended up with things like Baal Spawn. And mm. Bane spawn and Merkel spawn, these individuals who have been invested with more than just a tiny, tiny fragment of the gods' power, but may actually be almost like avatars of these deities. Interesting. And so, what the Baalites hope for is that Ball will just imbue them with a little splinter of power so that they can go out and kill people better. Eesh and
0: um yeah and what what does ball appear like now with the with so
4: he typically takes the form of a skull-faced man usually bare-chested but not always uh with tattoos and uh the two one or two daggers mm-hmm. they like up close personal kinds of killing not the shoot you from a rooftop type of killing okay they want to be in your face when they kill you so they pretty much use He's curved. Both Ball and his followers kind of use these daggers to come in at you and slash you to pieces. Gross. Very gross.
0: Um, so he's like a skull face, but no, otherwise normal flesh yeah. flesh body. Yeah. What are the tattoos of?
4: Um, his favorite songs. Uh- <laughs> 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 Mom, I love you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, mostly they're. I- are they that's a good like Shapes and, yeah, and and things like that. They're, they're abstract, okay. As far as, as far as I can know, as do, far as I recall. Do, uh, do, uh, mom <laughs> <laughs> do his followers also? You know, yes. tattoo themselves. Yeah, they do, and... or or sometimes they will um, scar themselves.
0: Ooh, yeah, right. Yeah. I guess that
4: makes sense with the dagger yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah. These people literally have no life. Um, <laughs> this is this is all that they're really yeah good for. Well, that's why they make such horrifying villains, right? Yes. And the fact that they're working together means that you can get these sort of combination squads uh, If you've got the got the bainite kinda leading the way mm-hmm. or in the case of a priest providing healing when necessary. Then you've got the assassins and scouts who are going out finding victims, dragging them into alleys mm-hmm. to be killed, and then you don't get you don't discard the corpse. You have the Mercolite animated and it walks away with you. Yeah. And all of a sudden you got another yeah.
0: party member. Um that's that's terrifying Uh, (laughs) just a little (laughs) (laughs) yeah and that'd be a great foil you know if you have a a party uh, of your adventurers good aligned Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden you stumble upon an evil aligned party absolutely you know a a lot of analogs it's like that um, I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the movie Us yes Uh, but yeah it frightens my soul every time I see it and now I'm thinking yeah. like ooh how great would it be to have like you know which which is a trope you've used in, in dice camera action a couple absolutely. Of times as well absolutely yeah
4: and while while the dead three are kind of um, part and parcel with Baldur's Gate their their followers can be found anywhere in Faerun really yeah. either apart or working together toward a common evil do you
0: uh, other denizens of the forgotten realms know that these three gods are back and working, or is it like a boogeyman type story
4: I think you there 's no official stand on that uh you could take it either way mm. um some people in like in clergy like in temples of other gods might know that they 're around and caution their servants to beware of that mm-hmm. certainly. I think it's probably better known or more likely to be known in somewhere like Baldur's Gate than elsewhere. But you can really play with the idea that the gods aren't, you know, screaming from the hilltops, watch out, these three evil gods are lurking among you. Because, you know, inciting panic is not in their portfolio. Um, But they may have agents working against them to try to take them out. And that's, I think, part of the reason why it's interesting that despite their power and their morbid fascinations for death and such... Bain, Ball, and Merkel do have to keep a low profile. If they don't, the the, the followers of some other god are going to find them and try to whack them.
0: Yeah, and that that's what's kind of interesting. It's like they had their, they're they're exerting more influence in the world because of their presence, but that's a
4: risk. Exactly. Yes. It is fascinating, too, though, from a campaign point of view, that you can actually fight these guys and kill them. Right. And have and the bragging rights. We killed gods. <laughs> For now. Yes. Who knows when, right. when they'll come back since. We haven't statted them up as mortals in fifth edition. Maybe we'll get around to that at some point. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, but I like even now just having
0: tendrils of their activity yeah. uh, happening in, in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's a fun way to uh, uh, to, to get some world-building going on in your, uh, in your campaign. Right. Um, yeah, so you mentioned that the good... Atlantic, well, maybe this is delving too far, but, like, you know, h- how exactly were these gods able to make that choice to, to, to come into the world back again, to, be, to, to have this avatar? Was it just... They just willed it so yeah. and it happened?
4: Yeah. The other gods smartly listened to Ao and said, okay, yeah, we'll let the mortals have their shot. We'll watch from afar and try not to meddle so much, mm-hmm. because you know if there's another time of troubles, maybe it'll be me who gets killed. Uh, you know that's always a concern. Uh, so they've withdrawn, but these three are just belligerent, and they um, don't give a f- They they do not give a f- <laughs> and, uh, and they're messing it all up, right? And so they are kind of peeing in the pool a little bit and mm-hmm. and thumbing their noses at authority. And Ao's like, whatever, kids, you know. <laughs> learn the hard way I don't care right right
0: <laughs> well let's hope that there's some adventuring parties out there that, who are willing to teach him teach him a lesson teach him a lesson I hope I hope there are excellent alright cool well uh, thank you Chris uh, if people have any questions about uh, any of these uh...
4: by the way Ball's real name before he became a god was George no I'm just <laughs> kidding <laughs> but I hear he hates it when you call him that
0: hey George shut up I'm <laughs> Ball <laughs> <laughs> Uh, awesome that's, right, not, cool. that's not canon actually that's not canon I just made that up alright we'll come up with different names uh, that, that was his name beforehand and we yeah. can, you can tweet at, at uh, uh, w- yeah. where,
4: where can people do that at for you I am on the Twitters at Chris Perkins DND
0: excellent well alternate names for uh, what ball was named before he died <laughs> opening up the floodgates <laughs> oh dear <laughs> thanks a lot Chris bye bye That was really good, Laurie Cheneau. I feel like I, I know a lot more now. Yep. Yeah. You feeling it? Yeah. I think there's there's always uh, good conversations to be had with Mr. Chris Perkins. Always. Yeah. He has a wealth of knowledge. Totally. And it blows my mind it's every time. It's probably
1: good for him to have an outlet for that knowledge. It's not, you know, like just traditional knowledge that you can impart on just everybody.
0: Yeah, right. You can't just meet someone at the grocery store and be like, did you know that... Uh, <laughs> that- <laughs> Uh, that lizard folk were first introduced <laughs> in the Fiend Folio. Blah, blah, blah. You're like, you can't do that, you know. No. I mean, here in Seattle, you, you could, have a larger chance of that being, uh, you know,
1: being widely,
0: widely accepted. accepted. But yeah, well, you know what. I'm going to scratch that. You should do that. Everyone should do that. They should spread the word about lizard folk and all the different D and D lore at the grocery store, in uh, your library, in uh, your daily life. I see. Many you. of you probably already do.
1: I see you checking out that pudding. Did you know <laughs> in D and D, they're like a pudding,
0: black pudding, black pudding. Yeah, D- yeah, I'm that's kidding. right. Not to be confused with blood pudding, which is a, uh, a dessert from the United Kingdom,
1: which actually should be reversed. Like blood pudding sounds like it that should sounds come more from like D&D a D and D monster. Black pudding is just like oh, like chocolate, dark right. chocolate,
0: exactly. Uh, I really like how you' you actually worked it into the food that people are buying. I know that's smart,
1: come on, I'm sort of impressed by that too,
0: because <laughs> yeah, I would have just been like, oh, you know, let's just talk about it at the at the at the line no, I,
1: I i went I went there, yeah, smart yeah
0: all right I'm everyone trying. everyone try to strive to be more like Shelley is what I'm trying to say.
1: I haven't even read those young adventurer handbooks yet. you're already in. you got it I'm gonna be so smart.
0: we are going to uh Let's talk to Arnie, because I think there's a lot of things we need to ask him about uh, his life, his life choices, how he got to that Burger King. His life
1: choices. His life
0: choices. Uh, yeah, how he got to that yes. Burger King in, in, in the Chicago area and uh, fell into the magical land of Foon for yes. his podcast. So I can't wait.
1: Okay. I have a third
2: person here.
1: A little awkward.
2: Arnie Kneekamp. Hello. Hey. Hi! Look, it doesn't have to be awkward. We can make it work with the three of us. Okay. Okay, perfect.
0: Said, said the Third guy in, in front Gino. of a toilet paper drone and an upside-down
2: mm-hmm. forehead man. Full stream? Yeah, the latest You Don't Know Jack game that I worked on, the uh, subtitle was is You Don't Know Jack Full Stream. It's sort of like... It, the premise is that it's on a <laughs> new kind of streaming service like Netflix Competitor. The problem uh, is, with,
0: with your head The where it was, is it was like, does it say oh full? God. It says full ream, I think. Yeah, uh, which is.
1: Fuck,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> I, will let, I will let the listener fill in the, the rest of that. <laughs> As we should.
1: Full stream is actually a very clever name. I know. Yeah. It is.
2: It's good stuff. Uh, so, Part of what we wanted to do with that, uh, and I know we don't really need to talk about, you know, Jack, that long, but... Uh, no, I want to. It's good really stuff. really just the idea of like a street like someone trying to do an up and coming streaming service and just making these small but really significant mistakes with their marketing like <laughs> so they're just sort of like full stream yeah that seems like a great uh uh slogan for our streaming service not realizing that it sounds a little bit like p yeah i went there <laughs> Uh, so so many people
0: listening may know you from uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern, which is an amazingly fun and uh, funny podcast. Um, we'll get to that in a second. But now, I mean, I, we'll, let, let's talk a little bit about what your, your role is at, uh, at You Don't Know Jack. because day that's, job. That's fascinating. As, as a fellow game company, this makes sense.
2: Yeah, you know, I work for Jackbox Games, and I've been here for over a decade. And we make, uh, part. yeah, I know, a long time. You turn, you 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 lift your head up one day, and you're like, oh wait, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I've been here a long time. <laughs> my it. life. Where's my... <laughs> uh, but uh, it's very exciting, you know. You know, working in games, working in kind of like collaborative games or what could be considered party games uh, is. Really, a lot of fun. So, we do, you know, Jack is like our classic like trivia game, uh, but we also do a lot of games that people can play, you know, like uh, Quiplash, where people are just like type in jokes on their phone and they show up on the screen and they, you know, everybody votes on what's the funniest. Drawful, which is a very, uh, like, sort of a very weird, like, sort of like if, if Pictionary just kept getting weirder and weirder as it went along. It does. Uh, it definitely. It usually does. does. Yeah. Inspired yeah, by would. by real uh, uh, Pictionary yep. games, I'm sure. Uh, and I'm a, I got you know my role has changed over the years, but I, I'm mostly like a game designer, sometimes director. I do a lot of writing. Uh, so like I directed Drawful. Uh, I directed Trivia Murder Party, which is a, a trivia game hosted by a serial killer, <laughs> uh, who doesn't read. Like he's a serial. He really is a serial killer, but he's also just sort of like. It's really like if uh, someone on YouTube that was just sort of like, I'm like a you, someone trying to be a YouTube influencer, but they also just happen to be a serial killer. And they just, they're, they don't realize that like it's a little weird that their serial killing tendencies are creeping into uh, the <laughs> show that they're trying to host.
1: Well, I mean, you got to have a side hustle. You can't serial kill all the time. It's true. It's true. I mean, yeah. Doesn't pay the bills. So, <laughs> so what does it mean though to be a director on a video game?
2: That's a very good question. And honestly, I think it really changes from place to place. We're kind of a little, we're kind of our own weird little thing. Uh, So directing here usually means you're just kind of like running the, you know, sort of like running the game, basically. Like it usually, uh, it's often also someone that's leading up game design, uh, a fair amount of like editorial. And, you know, also since it's usually small teams, a good amount of like project management as well uh, okay. it's basically just like taking a small team uh, helping you know with like a team of anywhere from like five to ten people making a party game in a couple of months and, uh, and we release five new games every year uh, wow. with a shockingly small team so it's kind of everybody does a little bit of everything
0: that's crazy that fun. it actually re- reminds me a lot of what the the D and My avalon hill kind of theme is all about right yeah, yeah, because Dungeon Mayhem. Well, it wasn't four or five months, as you're saying for some of your games. It but was. Actually. It was. Was it in four yeah. or five months?
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you don't count the time, it actually was at the printer. But right. I think from I, the second that we played it to the second it went off to the printer, that was only fe- that was like February to June.
0: That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess your role might be. I'm game kind director. Of like thinking,
1: I might want to change my title. Yeah, I think you should. <laughs> director. Yeah, because
0: you didn't design it, but you definitely like were the project manager of getting uh, and all the artwork I with and, the design team. Yeah, did the playtesting, all that stuff. Nathan well might as,
1: have an issue if I change my title to director. I, I, let's say let's I just do like it. That we're just going to do it. Title.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think I think Arnie would agree.
1: Okay, if Arnie says
2: you I, you definitely put my name. Uh, I co-sign it. <laughs> <All right.
1: laughs> Love it.
0: Um, So were you always a a, a gamer? Did you always play, uh, uh, you know, games like Dungeons and Dragons or or anything else?
2: Party games? Yeah, I've always loved games. Um, You know, uh, I especially like, I'm not really a particularly competitive person. uh, So I always really like games where it's like either collaborative uh, or, you know, the the enjoyment is less wrapped up in like winning or losing and Mm. more on sort of the weird uh, fun you have along the way. Um, I played a a fair amount of uh, Dungeons and Dragons when I was little. I was kind of one of those kids, you know, know, I'm a a bit older, uh, so, but when I was a kid, you know, I remember the classic, like, red Advanced Dungeons and Dragons manual. Like, the one that I feel like you, you, not like the, like, if you're watching Freaks and Geeks, not like the old hand, like, crudely hand-drawn monster manual era, but kind of right after that.
0: The red box, yeah. the, yeah, that, that 1984-ish type, uh, yeah. Uh, era. Yeah. Uh,
2: and you know, it was a time when it was like harder to find the cool things that you wanted to do like music, books, TV, anything. So you just kind of had to, if you found somebody that was into something cool, you had to really latch onto that person and be like, look, and, and honestly I played Dungeons and Dragons with a kid on my street that I, kind of didn't like like (laughs) he was you know nothing against him but i was just sort of like ah he's all right but you know what he's he plays he he likes dungeons and dragons so i'm gonna go play with him and uh uh and and that was great and it's so it's it's crazy now just how uh how much it's evolved since then and um and I don't get to play, I haven't like really like dove in and played as much in a long time. Or, or when I do, I'm that kind of like, what some people might find annoying, that kind of like dilettante player that's just kind of there to have fun. And, and if I mess up the rules, uh, you know, you know, someone will, will explain to me uh, what I've gotten wrong. But it's a big it's a big tent, so a lot of you know a lot of different people can come come in and play and have have fun at different skill levels. It seems like.
0: Yeah, and I think that you know the the type of player that you're describing, you know, maybe at one time you know might have been a, a you know get an eye roll or two, but I think more and more folks at the table are uh, excited to have people like that who are you know drop in, kind of understand the basic mm-hmm. frameworks of the game, and everyone is there to help with the rules and make yeah. sure it all uh, you know feels like it's uh, everyone's having the same kind of balanced fun that's that's happening there but you know i think the with the rise of streaming and and you know podcasting and things like that people
2: are just like oh yeah no it's like the, the, get to the fun parts it should be fun yeah yes. exactly yeah Agreed. it's good i mean that's what i like i like I like playing any game any complicated like tabletop game or something i it's always good it's always good to have that friend that's like all right i'll read the instruction yes. oh yes And then everyone. I mean, every look. Every game I play, I kind of turn someone into the dungeon master. Someone is the person that is running the game, uh, and that's that's sort of my. Probably uh, not a good... But that's my philosophy on a lot of life. Just find someone around you. Make them the dungeon master. Have them figure out what you're supposed to do. <laughs>
0: like the kid in your neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, you're like, oh yeah, he's, it, his superpower is reading the rules and understanding them and orchestrating the game for me.
1: And he got a lot out of it too because maybe he was an annoying kid that, but he ended up having a cool friend because of d no. and <laughs> And
2: you know what? I'm
1: going to be honest.
2: Maybe he... he it's, it's probably a draw which of us was cooler. Like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, you he both got have, something.
2: He might have felt exactly the same way. Like, <sighs> ah, I don't like that Arnie guy, but you know what? He'll play <laughs> Dungeons and Dragons with me. It's him. the bridge. It's the bridge to friendship. It is. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: <laughs> what, uh, do you remember what that sessions or what those sessions were like when you, when you played with him?
2: You know, we were pretty young. And also, again, like you just didn't have much to like draw on you know like you kind of read the book and you take it very literally Mm -hmm. um it sort of reminds me a lot of like beginning i do a lot of improv stuff like you said with my i have an improv podcast reminds me a lot of like when you're first taking your first steps into improv the improv comedy world or trying to understand it by just reading like uh some of the older like improv books of like exercises and you take it all very literally and like you have to do it Step by step by step. Uh, and, and until you can kind of see another game or play with someone that really has sort of played for a while, uh, or until, you know, obviously like the books have gotten a lot better, like a lot richer. Uh, when we played, it was almost you know, like we were almost just playing like a crude walk around a map. What's in this room? This is the thing it says that is in this room. What's yeah. in this room? Uh, Because we didn't know, you know, we, we hadn't, we didn't have anything to base it off of besides like, you know, thinking of it almost like a, like an old Atari game where you're wandering from room to room. Yeah.
0: uh, That's so funny because I I had an experience recently where I've been playing with people who hadn't played since that era either. And uh, he brought in all of his old modules uh, to show off and be like, oh, yeah, these are these, you know, this was. Hidden Shrine of Timochan and all these things that he just happened to have. Uh, and I, you know, geeked out over him and, and was super excited about him. And then someone else asked him, be like, oh, who is who is the dungeon master in your group when you played like that? And he was like, oh, we kind of traded off, you know. And he was like, oh, were there any, like, really good ones? And he's like, I mean, all you really needed to do was read. Like, you just read what was in the next room and you did it and there was none of the, the kind of characterization and, yeah. and stuff that is, um, you know, really popular in, in how to play now. And I was really taken aback. I'm like, really? Like, no, you just... And they treated it the same way that you're talking about. It was just you and You go from room to room and you kill the monsters and that's that's about it. Um, and it was not, not a, a storytelling device or an improv device like um, like we use it now.
2: Mm-hmm. And that's why I think it's so cool that there are so many places that you can go to listen to people's games, to yeah. watch people's games. like either just to like enjoy it as entertainment, but also like I think every game you watch like opens up more doors in your own head of like, oh, that's a way I can engage with this game or it doesn't have to be this or even just seeing, you know, someone enjoying it and really bringing to the game who they are and how much that like changes what the game is, like how how each person like, who you are and how you play that. that That's what the game is. That's what makes the game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, uh, so when did you start doing comedy improv stuff?
2: You know, I, uh, well, I went to grad school for creative writing and, uh, had a little bit more free time on my hands when, when I was supposed to be writing, you know, like the great American novel. And I basically just fell in with like, a college improv group, uh, which I always refer to as like a bad college improv group. And I don't mean that to like be insulting only in the way that like, at least maybe in that time period, what was I, the name?
0: You know, what was the name? That's how you can really gauge the, the, the quality of the improv group.
2: Brace yourself. It's <laughs> called, it was called comedy corner. Um, <laughs> for trip, Not even a or pun. A improv I know. Group? So That's it's like, like a it's,
1: club maybe, but
2: yeah, I think it was actually, I mean, Uh, It was a legacy name like it. Mm -hmm. I guess it had been around for a long time, like before the concept of funny names existed. I thought Uh, you were
1: going to say when you said brace yourself, I thought that was the name. And I was like, that's not bad. (laughs) I know. Brace yourself. Comedy. Comedy coming at you.
2: (laughs) We were called brace yourself. It was a group. of, well, We were all chiropractors, and we
1: were- <laughs> or orthodontists.
0: Oh, I thought they were yeah. all, all going to be like Eminem, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, impersonators. Brace yourself! Oh, in the well, movement. we, I don't went, know. we all was, went somewhere different. Yeah, exactly. That,
1: and that's the beauty of improv.
0: Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, that's interesting. So you, and, you know, so instead of you know getting it down on paper, you were being creative in the moment. Uh, and, and was this in Chicago? Yeah. Uh,
2: this is in Arizona, actually. Oh no, uh, Tucson and. Uh, you know yeah I mean I think it's like writing is very lonely you know and I think it was I realized that even though you know it wasn't always the funniest thing in the world it was just what I was looking for I was looking for community I was looking for creating something collaboratively in mm-hmm. the moment and it was just so much it was just so fun to and to kind of just throw yourself off of the cliff of like not knowing what was gonna happen next and you know being with other people while you're creating it and also getting that immediate feedback from the audience instead of like, you know, writing a a really long story and then later at best getting someone being like, yeah, that was good. Like even if someone is really excited, it's like, okay, well, great. (laughs) But it's hard to compete with like a laughing audience. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think I had that similar experience as a, as a playwright
0: and and writing of stuff where it's like you spent you know, you up until 2 or 3 in the morning getting something done, and you're like, oh, God, I can't wait. And then someone reads it, and they're like, meh, that's pretty good. Or you don't know. Don't know. Maybe, maybe change all this, and uh, also the whole premise is bad, but, you know, yeah, it's good. And mm-hmm. you're like, oh, well, you uh, don't really get cool, that, uh-huh. like, that, like, uh, adulation that you get from, from, a, from a live audience. Well, you
1: guys are, mis- like, the scary part to me about improv is what you're both saying you love about it is that immediate reaction? Because my biggest fear is that that immediate reaction is not a good one.
2: Scary. It can be can be quite bracingly bad. I mean, there's no question. Brace like, yourself. That's like, <laughs> <brace yourself. I'll laughs> with That all oh, right now it all makes sense. Uh, yeah, and it's I don't know why. I mean, I think for me the thing that is scariest is having that permission feeling like you have that permission to be on that stage. And then when you're on that stage, it's scary, but it's not as scary. And, uh, I don't know. I think that was just something I was always looking for. And I think that's also Mm -hmm. kind of why, um, I think that's also why I like, I don't, know, I don't know if it's hokey that I keep in my mind bringing it back to Dungeons and Dragons. No, but I, like,
1: I went, I was doing that too. Yeah,
2: I think it's that's also part of what's like really great about playing role-playing games is it gives you a permission to play these roles, you know, to, to act yeah. out these, to be something other than yourself and put yourself out there. And I think most people want that. And you know, and they even have that bravery. They just need like that excuse to kind of get onto the quote unquote stage of the story.
1: And I think there is also like the in general, like when I feel like an improv audience is kind of already set up to enjoy it and laugh, and like they're not there to be like they're not they're not there generally to heckle you. That's always been my experience as an audience member for improv. Never have done it myself. Right. People people go there they with want the, you to. They succeed. want yeah exactly. They, they, want, they want to laugh. To, they want to have a good time. And if in the same. With D&D is, you know, you have, like you said, like you have permission to play these roles, but you also have like the support of the other people on stage with you like you would in a and d game. And you're kind of taking turns setting people up and letting them, you know, have that really funny punchline and vice versa and kind of like D&D. So,
2: yes. Absolutely. I mean, just I, I, I've never been brave enough to do like much solo performing, because that seems what's truly scary. Yeah, that's when scary, too. Just you. But when you have a group of people and you have your, you know, your fellowship, so to speak, like you're <laughs> all there together, you know, like if I don't have something funny, someone else will. Or if I'm really like if I'm really flaming out in the scene, uh, running out of things and about to crash, like someone can either just edit it and be like, this has to be over. Right. Move, on. <laughs> move on, new scene. Or I can kind of come in and, and make it great. You know, it's like you have a bunch of lines <laughs> together are funnier and smarter and more interesting than just one.
0: Yeah, yeah. The solo stuff is is very hard, I, you know, as, as for that reason because it's just that relationship with you and the audience, and if that goes sour, it yeah. can very quickly be like. And then I've done I've done the self editing thing on my own instead of having someone else come in and be like, "All right, we're done." I'm like, "Okay, no, this set is over. Goodbye.
3: Thank yeah. you." Oh, I Just
0: <laughs> got a phone call. And oddly enough, you get the biggest the biggest calls. reaction when you're bombing and you get off the stage. People are like, "Yeah, yeah, like, get oh. off the stage. You're like, At least I got something. I got, They're I a got meaner some audience. applause." That like way. a lot
1: of times, those the comedy club like the ones that are there to watch a solo performer yeah like there's often that feeling of like you better be funny make me laugh man uh, there's a, that mix
0: there f- there can be that 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 jerk that's in the in the room that does that but in general it's similar to the improv audiences where people want to laugh and they they're also do, you know, but they're also like they're they paid to see people come up end, on stage and dammit, do that they
1: better start laughing sure but then they also know that they're gonna turn on you
0: at least the shows that I did, there was always another person who's going to come up and, and hopefully you know shift the the tone and things yeah. like that. So yeah. people weren't ever like too well. I'm not combative. That I never. I luckily never had a heckler it. or anything like that. So I, I wasn't really I hate equipped. But then I had people who were extremely skilled at that and actually made that part of their act
2: to a certain extent. I was like, oh gosh, I mean, that hecklers? seems crazy. Yeah, a little bit.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, I think you know there. Uh, what can be great about that is that it's the. You're you're in a very like suddenly you're in a very present moment a surprising moment and like there you know the part of me that loves improv is the part of me that loves when you see a stand up having to deal with something that like kicks them out of their routine mm. but you certainly don't want to encourage people to heckle to get you to that place right. um, but I will say though some of my most cherished improv like live improv memories are when something crazy. Happened, like probably the one of the best shows I ever did like in a smallish theater was one where like halfway through someone ran across the front of the stage because the place was packed and there was no way to kind of get through like people's feet were essentially on the front of the stage. Someone ran from the bar across the front of the stage with their hands over their mouth vomit <gasps> no. like spewing out between oh. their fingers onto the stage, just leaving like a trail of vomit all the way across.
1: That's what we're saying. Uh,
2: and we're like in the middle of doing some scene and it literally like everyone in the whole place is like, what just happened? <laughs> and we kind of, ever, someone made a joke and and we are like, all right. And we basically just kind of like kept our sense of confidence. Like we acknowledged that it happened. We didn't just keep <laughs> doing some scene like in a fake park, stepping in vomit. <laughs> it's like, okay, hey everybody. We just saw that. Uh, let's quickly get someone to clean that up, and we, you know, that you got it mopped up pretty quickly. And then we kind of went on, and we did some scenes like I think the scene that maybe took place in a Walmart. So then from then on, whenever we did a scene that took place in a Walmart, someone k- pretended to come through vomiting. <laughs> but even besides, totally aside from any jokes specifically about what we had just seen, at that point the entire audience was like so in on the show because everyone was just like we just saw something crazy and we are so excited like for anything that happens after that and i have never uh since then even like after having like some level of success or i've gotten to play for much bigger audiences that is probably the most like enthusiastic and electric audience i've ever performed for and it was just because someone threw up on the stage And you couldn't have planned
0: it. If you tried no. to do that now, you're like, all right, I'm going to pay you know. to get really drunk and throw up across the thing. It would, probably, it would be feel not real. And not, you know, oh, was, yeah.
2: Like, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, my, the flip side story I have of that, and I'm sorry if I'm uh, just going on and on. No, do guns. it. No, we like it. Like, I lo- like, that's the thing. You want something spontaneous to happen, but you can't force it. And honestly, and you shouldn't, like, try too hard to invite it in. Uh, I remember doing a terrible improv show, like, in a bar, that, that was not equipped to even have shows like it was really <laughs> depressing. And uh, there were like, we're on stage. We were once again, like standing right next to the bathroom pretty much. And uh, you know, you know, when you're doing it, I don't know if people aren't as familiar with like live improv, like oftentimes some of the cast is like standing on the side of the stage kind of wait. They're not like in the show, but they're waiting to go in. Yeah. And someone very drunk kind of came up to me and he said, uh, Hey, can I get in there? And and I thought he meant the bathroom because we're standing right next to the bathroom. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, go. Just go. You can go in the bathroom. We're I know we're in front of it. I'm sorry. And he's like, no. Can I get into the show? He's like, uh, I just want to be a dog. I'll just sniff around a little bit. What? I was like, I was like no, no. I said no. No. Uh, <laughs> And afterwards, when I told the rest of the cast, they were like, "You should have let him in." And I was like, "No, no. You no. know what? If he if he just like makes a beeline and does that, you just like work with it, and maybe something great happens. But you don't like. You also you don't just invite it in willy nilly because it could go bad.
0: I and I've learned, you know, his his fault was asking for permission. Right. He should have been asking <laughs> for forgiveness afterwards. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: That's also what you just said so is great advice for a dungeon master
2: mm. absolutely when like don't like let you know try to keep keep the integrity of what you're doing, but also keep the door open to something great happening and yep. really rolling with
1: and it. don't try too hard to force something that might not be right exactly,
2: it. yeah, it's a lot of it is listening, it seems like to me like uh, that's what a lot of improv is is really just listening. And, and honestly taking in what's happening and, yeah. and, and, and going with that. And it seems like a lot of what makes a good dungeon master, like there are a lot, obviously there are a lot of things that make a good dungeon master. But one of the things that I really value is someone that is really listening to what the players are doing and what is happening and kind of really like incorporating and weaving in those things instead of being like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want that to be part of the story or not because you don't like it, but just sort of like, yeah, 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 I wasn't planning on, uh, this to happen. So let's not go down that path. Uh, I think really sort of rolling with that stuff is really fun. Yeah. And also one of the things I I honestly, you know, this is like a half baked theory of mine, but I really think that like the something about the dice is what makes dungeons and dragons so great. I'm realizing this is like, I'm posing this as like a really smart theory. And I'm like, guys, I don't know if you thought about it. <laughs> but the <laughs> dice are dice. important. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but, it's, dice. but like, just the level of spontaneity that that like brings into the game is yeah. so great. Well, it's
0: unpredictability. I think that it's really important. And it allows not just the players to improvise, but the dungeon master yeah. to have to improvise so that it becomes this moment. I mean, I always equate it to if we're in, in you know, speaking of the, the the comedy improv kind of thing, it's like that, oh, give us an idea from the audience type thing where you get like a random mm. thought that nobody on stage had thought of before, nobody in the audience had thought of before except for this one person. And then it's like, all right, everything kind of builds from that spontaneous moment, right? And the mm. dice serve that same purpose, I think, where like everybody's got their frameworks and you know what they might bring to the table, but no one knows what, you know, are you going to get a 20 or are you going to yeah. get a one? Are you going to get somewhere in between? And it's that element that brings like that, I don't know, that you're right, makes uh, it makes it different than other just, like, story games.
2: Yeah. And also, like, I think the human, like, people are so, like, naturally tend to make, like, binary choices, right, where it's sort of like, what happened? Was it good or was it bad? But then the dice can have, like, a, all these, like, spectrum in between of that can kind of, like, be not what you expect that I think is really interesting.
1: I thought I, I had recently played it in a game that, Sateen Phoenix DM'd. Yeah. And she has this this really, I'm sure other DMs do it, but I've never played in a game with this, that if you roll a one on an attack, then she then will tell you, she makes you roll damage. <laughs> and she is like, now I'm going to tell you how you just hit yourself, basically. <laughs> so then she gets like this little chance to like come up with like some funny little ditty, like you were about to fire your, your bow and like it got stuck in a, a cobweb and like, Sproying in your flung face. back at you or whatever. Yeah. And then you, t- you take damage from it. <laughs> so I thought that was like, that was like very clever. It yeah, is. Just another way to, you know.
0: to mix it up too. And I like how different dungeon masters have different kind of, yeah. you know, not necessarily crutches, but things that they lean on to be like, oh, this is my yeah. shtick. And see what I, I, I don't,
1: do don't want to take damage, but <laughs> I kind of appreciate it. Like, yeah, actually, that probably that's is what funny. happened.
2: That pretty funny. Yeah. So I feel like we've been dan- well, I- oh Well, I was going to say, as someone who like loves, like story and just weird things happening along the way more than like actually winning like man i think low bad roles are such a gift, right? Like, that's where the really fun stuff happens. Like, if you go into the game and you're just, like, everything goes as planned, it's it's not as fun. It's kind of where the weird places where things go wrong and what happens from there that I think is where the really fun stuff happens. And, and I don't know, uh, maybe it sounded like you were about to segue into talking about my podcast. So my podcast is almost like the whole premise of it is, like, it's all low. We should just call it all bad roles. Like it's just <laughs> Good name. bad decisions. Everything we try to do to make things better usually ends up like messing up in some weird way and just constantly dealing with the consequences of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. So what I was going to say was like, we've been dancing around all these topics that are very specifically kind of, uh, uh, um, you know, born true with Hello from the Magic Tavern. It really is like, you know, it brings in all of the, what we're talking about here. So. Uh, for those folks who might not know, what what was your what would give your your elevator pitch from for, for what the podcast is? Actually, it's basically what your intro is every every week.
2: Right. But, yeah. It is, yeah. Uh, I mean, I basically play myself. It's an entirely improvised uh, comedy chat show fantasy epic, uh, and the idea is, you know, I play my uh, a fiction. I'm, I need to be careful to say a very fictionalized version of myself. Uh, who fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into a magical land? Uh, luckily, realized that he was still getting a slight Wi-Fi signal from the Burger King through the dimensional rift, uh, and he decided uh, to st- start host a podcast in the tavern, uh, w- interviewing adventurers and wizards and monsters. Uh, and to me, like the idea behind it is, like, what if a person had this? spectacular thing happened to them where they're suddenly in this magical land. But instead of going off and having a grand adventure and saving the world, they were like, you know what, this is finally my opportunity. This is really to start a podcast. I think people <laughs> are really going to like this content. Uh, and it, kind of, <laughs> and, it uh, and it really has kind of spiraled out from there uh, up to about 200 episodes. Um, and I think one of the central, uh, like, Um, tricks of the show that people really like uh, that is also a very like I think analogous to Dungeons & Dragons is that everything is canon like everything is part of the story and it keeps on going Uh, and that is can be a dangerous uh, thing to place on ourselves because you know we're improvising and just making up silly and dumb things in the moment but then we force ourselves to live with the consequences of those dumb jokes forever. (laughs) we're collaborating collaboratively building this world and uh you know if if i'm trying to think of like a good family friendly example to give but you know it, uh this one's not too bad like you know if wizards have two buttholes that's just the way it is that's just a fact of that world. <laughs> Who, and it was,
0: was it Matt Young as, as Usador who, who who's first just said that as a throwaway joke? And you're like, well, it's canon now.
2: <laughs> oh, no, no, absolutely. I mean, we've also, you know, uh, also like one of the reasons we wanted to do it as like a real human in a, uh, like a person from Earth in a magical world, uh, with like really making it also about physically trying to operate a podcast in this world. Uh, and so, like, that allows us to have emails. Back and forth, so you know people email uh, the show, and we read the emails, and like my co-hosts, a a wizard and a talking badger, like misunderstand things from the emails, and and sometimes those emails become huge parts of the story. Like someone had like a weird like the grammar of one of their sentences was strange, and they're like talking about uh, the character Usador, the wizard, saying, "Uh, "Can the wizard do this?" And, and they immediately jumped on it and they were like, can the wizard. Oh, can the wizard is not my favorite wizard. And that just turned into <laughs> a character named can the yellow, uh, who's just this, another wizard in the world that is actually like a big part of the story. So someone's e, someone's like random email turned into like a huge, huge plot thread on the show. That's super
0: fun. And it sounds like, you know, you're doing that role as the, the listening dungeon master for everything, yeah. obviously, you're, you're cracking jokes just like just like everyone else is when you see the opportunity. But like, you're the, the you're the canon, you know. That's being reflected out mm-hmm. by being like, oh, and, and and it's a great literary trope too of having someone who's ignorant about what's happening in the world, and then they have to tell you, and then that means you know you can just get so much uh, conversation and things happening from there too. So it it has a lot of analogs to D and D, and then of course you you bringing a lot of fantasy tropes that also are all there from, from, uh, from D and D as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, it comes from like a sincere love of fantasy and uh, a sincere love of the things that are great about it and the things that sometimes are really silly and dumb. Like, you know, we equally love both of those things. And so it's fun (laughs) to kind of like make fun of weird things and, and subvert some things that we think are cliches that don't make sense, but then also really take advantage of like cool Uh, tropes and characters and types of creatures.
0: How did it get started? How did you, how did you uh, pitch this or, or or how did it come about?
2: Uh, I performed in Chicago in a show for about 10 years with my co-hosts. And I had had a couple podcasts that were like, had some small amount of success around Chicago, at least, uh, but never that much. And then I just had this idea of like a chat show that, Story just kind of started to seep into it and and become more and more of a thing and sort of accumulated. Uh, And also, I just knew that, like, you know, in improv, like when you're taking early improv workshops or taking or just like rehearsing with your like group for the first time, doing like improvised interviews is actually a great form. Like, it gives you a lot of support uh, because you can kind of do a lot. There, There are like these very clear barriers. But you can kind of do a lot within that. And also right. as an interviewer, you can do a lot like uh, in, within inter- improvised interviews because it's, it makes it very easy for you to naturally like give traits uh, to the characters you're interviewing by like the questions that you ask them. And it's actually like it it's not as scary as like we were saying before, like getting up on stage, like if you're improvising something and anything you could like suddenly jump around and run around and reality can change at every second. That can be a lot, that can be intimidating. And for a performer and sometimes for listeners, like they're not quite ready to follow you with all of that stuff right away. Mm. But an interview, an interview is something that people get right away. And so you can kind of then be very, very weird within that structure. Um, and so I was thinking about that and you know, I basically, uh, I you know, pitched the idea to uh, my friend Adil, who plays uh, the Talking Badger, I, not even really thinking we would do it, more just the kind of like, you know, when you sometimes you have ideas you think are clever and you're like, ah, I don't, I'm probably not going to do that. But I can't you gotta tell somebody about it. Like I have to <laughs> I, I have to get that validation of like, yeah, yeah, that's a pretty funny idea. Just like the writing classes
0: of your you're
2: like, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you did it. Yeah. Yep. You, uh, you it had that idea. But he was immediately like, we gotta do that. That is great. Uh, And it just happened to coincide with uh, me, you know, chatting with some other people in the Chicago gaming community and, uh, you know, realizing that there was a studio that we could use the new Cards Against Humanity building. Mm. Uh, And I sort of pitched the idea uh, to Max Temkin of Cards and he later told me, I pretty much pitched it to him as I explained it to you, uh, and he told me later, he was like, When you told me, I thought it was either going to be the best thing ever or the stupidest thing ever. And he was right on both counts. <laughs> uh, so we just kind of lucked out that we were able to have a studio that made it sound good, mm. you know, because that's very, you know, it's at least, it's very important, you know. And I'm saying that as someone currently in a room where the sound is not very good. So I'm sorry.
1: Well, Ryan appreciates you saying that, who makes sure that we sound
2: Good. Right. And Ryan
0: actually was here when you did your uh, uh, episode with uh, Chris Perkins. You did it in this very room
2: where we are yeah. now. At that, Yeah, that very table. It was so, so fun. Chris Perkins was so funny and so like game kind of to do anything uh, and so committed, uh, like, you know, uh, I, I, it's, it's pretty good jump on episode too. If you have, you know, people can listen to it's fun to listen to our podcast from the beginning and get all the things as they build. but you can also usually just kind of jump in. Yeah. And the one he did uh, a couple months ago where he played a motron, I think, right. Yeah. Uh, that we eventually started calling named Wii woo uh, it was so funny. Like it was so weird and we, you know, he surprised us. And we like threw all kinds of dumb things at him that he like he he rolled with with all the dumb jokes and somehow elevated them to still some somehow be like smart versions of those dumb. dumb- <laughs> That's
1: his superpower.
2: It uh, yeah. really
0: is. Yeah, he's I, from doing acquisitions, incorporated and things like that. But there's a, there's a you know a large dumb joke to smart joke ratio, but he always mm-hmm. elevates it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of improv. In yeah, the- my favorite bit in that was when uh, I don't want to you know give spoilers, but his voice changes. Uh, in the middle of it and i remember listening to that in the car uh driving to work here and just laughing out loud because i was like oh yes that's that's exactly what would happen and it uh, it was it was the perfect kind of turn uh in the middle yeah. there.
2: Well my favorite thing about it was like he he you know what we do with our guests is we usually have them pitch like maybe 3 ide- ideas over email just very simple like a sentence like we don't need to know like the whole we don't like it's fun to discover it in the room yeah. but just like so we know like like, oh, okay, well, we've already done something like that, or, or I don't know, we're, we're planning on, or we've done too many wizards or something like that. Uh, so he, he, you know, uh, we knew loosely what he was going to be. Uh, but then in the room, it was so funny. Like he was, at first he had no language. Like he was a, you know, part organic, part computer uh, creature that was just like saying chirping words back at us. As it was trying to learn language, you know, in this, in and, and what I, you know, is probably a very like smart, like, uh, dungeon master type thing, almost as like a, like a puzzle, right? For, yeah. The player to solve, like, how do we get this being enough language? Uh, but it was very funny, like, in the room as we're sort of like, uh, doing the show, like, and this goes on for a few minutes. And I think in the back of our heads, we're like, is, is is it is it gonna be this the whole time? <laughs> yeah, right. can we can we sustain this joke for for an hour? <laughs> be, are we gonna be like everybody tune into our Chris Perkins episode and it's just sort of like beep. Boop. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like if they tune into Dragon Talk and it was just uh, Shelly's voices Banana. or bananas coming out of our butts. <laughs> <laughs> our two buttholes. since two we are, butt, we're, wizards. we're wizards.
1: <laughs> One is for where the bananas come
0: out. It's canon. Exactly. This is now Dragon Talk canon.
2: Where do you think bananas come from?
1: <laughs> wizards' buttholes. Exactly. That's
0: how they were invented. Yep, I
1: love it.
0: Um, so how did you come up with the, uh, with the idea for Foon uh, as a whole? Or is it just something you said in the first episode when you recorded it and it was canon from then, and or, or what?
2: Uh, the world itself. I mean, I think we just wanted to be this idea of just like a big, almost like cliched, but not in a bad way. Sort of like starting with an idea of like it's fantasy; it's a fantasy land. Uh, there is like a, a looming threat from a, the dark lord, uh, and there are a few kingdoms and things. And you know, there's a tavern on the traveler's road. Uh, but we kind of wanted to leave it open enough that it could encompass kind of any and all fantasy cliches, you know? So if we wanted to do an episode that's like, let's really kind of pull some of the things that we think are funny from like, say Legend of Zelda and have a character who's like a little imp that, uh, poops coins into jars all the time. And that's where all the money comes from. Uh, you know, or we want to pull things from Game of Thrones and, you know, like have like, instead of like a Joffrey character, we have like, a like a, a princess who just is angry and 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 dangerous and wants to kill her whole family, um, and, and 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 sometimes just pulling from fairy tale stuff, you know, and just so a world that can just as much have high fantasy and low fantasy, and like um, so that was basically that. As for the name, I just tried to think of like simple to say fantasy sounding things. And I think a foon. I don't remember even how I came up with foon, but we did have that before. That's
1: funny that you said that because that was going to be my question. Is that every now and again something is so appropriately named that I feel like there's got to be a story behind that? Because when you just hear foon, I feel like I already know. I already know.
0: Yeah, because it's got like a like even though it doesn't sound anything like Narnia, it's got that feeling of like. Childlike?
1: Yes. And like not serious.
0: Not serious, but also alien and strange and, and fantastical. Yes. Yeah. So mm. it was a perfect happenstance somehow that in It worked. It could have gone either way, as Max Tentkin said. <laughs> well, yeah. I'll take
2: it. <laughs> I think for a second I wanted to do something like twol or something. Like you know, that kind of that kind of like almost hard to say, kind of like TW sort of uh yeah. of with
0: lots of apostrophes
2: and Xs. Yeah, but then uh, but then I decided uh, no, let's make it simpler on ourselves. We did go through a long run of episodes where all of our guests had character names that were like impossible to spell or <laughs> to spell them, and boy, I whenever it's like I need to tweet about one of those characters coming back, I'm like. Uh, how do you spell Jen Levia in the weird, specific way that uh, the character said they spell their name?
0: <laughs> and you got to go back and listen yeah. and like get all the letters that were just improvised in a random order. Of course, yeah. The,
1: the character has a specific way. Of course. So, where do you, who are the guests that you usually or that you have? How do you choose who's going to be on the show and what role they're going to play?
2: A lot of it. You know, from the very beginning, a lot of it is just pulling from uh, people we know in the Chicago improv community. Uh, We were very blessed to have like a lot of really amazing performers here, Uh, and you know, we've been around for a long time, so we knew a lot of people. So to start, it was just we sort of began by just bringing in people that we had performed with that we just knew were really funny, Um, and, and sort of the main thing we would think about about who to bring in was sort of just trying to make sure we had a variety of energies almost you know so it would be sort of like well you know that last episode was very heady or was very like was sort of like a very thinky uh like satirical take on something in fantasy let's just have someone we know that has just like a big funny energy and uh you know and then they come on and just take play like a drunken uh flower like an angry drunken flower <laughs> you know? So then, after that, you, so you just kind of are always trying to like find a balance of of things like that, or you're sort of like, you know, we haven't really dug deep into some good like fantasy cliches in a while. Let's sort of bring in someone that's really really into fantasy, or you know, let's bring in a really like a really good actor and sort of see uh, what they're going to do. So mm. we, that's sort of how we do a lot of that, um, and then we've been really lucky, like as we've sort of grown. Uh, we've been able to bring in like a lot of uh, improvisers from other podcasts that we really love or comedian, famous comedians that we're big fans of. Like I got to do a live show with Scott Adsit from uh, 30 Rock. And mm. this, the, the uh, he's always been I've always been a, he's always been a, like a performing hero of mine and, you know, ended up doing this weird. He played like a turkey with a chicken with a duck in like he had, a, he was a turkey that had a chicken living inside of him and a duck living inside He's that duck living. Yeah. yeah. He did all of the voices and it somehow ended up where a thing where I had to barf food into his mouth.
1: <laughs> See, cause vomit's funny apparently.
2: Yeah. Uh, so stuff like that. But also <laughs> oh, I, I really love to like also bring in people who aren't necessarily inherently known as, comedy first you know uh chris Perkins, i think is really funny but also like it was great to bring him in uh you know we have uh, felicia day who's also very funny we've had her on uh but also like um uh, corey doctor the writer oh no way. Uh, yeah. and like uh played like a spider who does surveillance in the world so he was able to bring all of that kind of like writing he does about like the dystopian places the internet is taking us and and sort of u- using that as sort of like a metaphor within the fantasy world um gosh patrick Rothfuss uh we've had on playing like a, a doctor um we've had we you know we've had wrestlers on you know uh we had uh, colt cabana on who was very funny who just played like a bear he played a human with a bear's body, so but it's not exactly like a centaur. It's like a full bear. And then instead of just a human head, it's like a torso oh a human coming out of that. It was very strange. And he was great. <laughs> did he awesome. come
1: up with that character or did you give him that character?
2: I think it's a combination. Like he came up with this idea of being, I think he wanted to be something called the Brotar. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know and we we're like great we'll sort of discover it from there tar. The <laughs> yeah and then just in talking to him as he was like explaining his body like we realized like it wasn't making sense and so we just discovered in the moment that the way he was explaining it sounded like a like a like if a centaur if the horse part was a bear but that that just looks really weird <laughs> uh, and and so we're just sort of like that was the funniest thing in the moment so we just kept rolling with it and that's kind of where the funnest stuff comes from
0: my favorite one i mean I, I by no means have i listened to all two hundred episodes, but yeah, i' you know a dozen or or two uh that I, I really have enjoyed over the years uh but the um the villains that you kind of bring on are really funny like a drip fang and and things like that because you guys are are you know ostensibly good aligned people uh you know fighting against the dark lord, but then you bring on these interview you know you interview people who are these evil aligned characters but it's it's all under the guise of it being. This interview, So, like, you can't really attack
2: them or do anything like that. But they're like, eh, we don't like
0: each other. But you're a good guy. And he'll come back, right, to the, to the next
2: podcast. Yeah. I mean, the villains are the best. I mean, the villains are just the best. Like, it's so fun. It's got to be so fun to play the villain. Uh, Kevin Serretta, who plays Drip Fang, is so fun. He's just like a necromancer that's actually just, like, made of snakes. Uh, but he's just this, oh. like... But he's just this we like, he's just like a bunch of snakes combined into, like, an outfit. And then they just, like, always, like, bangs into the tavern being like, everyone, shut up! And, like, <laughs> and uh, just sort of makes dramatic proclamations. Uh, and so that, first of all, is just really fun. Uh, just having that big, fun energy. Mm-hmm. And he's so funny. But then uh, I also, one of my favorite things is, like, really always coming back to the sort of weird quality of the, it being an interview. Uh, and especially when like a villain comes back yeah. where it's sort of like, <laughs> where it's sort of like, I am here to the, you know, I'm here to kill you all. All right. But would you please speak into the microphone? And it's, <laughs> so great, it's so great to have you back on the show. Uh, stuff like that is really, is really fun. And it reminds me of like
0: the onion a little bit in that, you know, the, you know, obviously another Midwest Chicago uh, institution. Um, and that it, it, it What's great about that uh, publication is that it uses all the tropes of news writing, but subverts it for comedy purposes. And you guys are doing the same thing as this, like, news interview show, but, you know, with this – using all the forms
2: that make it, make it funny. Exactly. Like, in, yeah, I don't know. I see a lot of parallels. I- I've always been a big I mean it's almost a bit of a cliche but I've always been a big fan of like where the fantastic meets the mundane. Yeah. Uh, I think that's like where really funny things can happen or just interesting things. And and so it was very it was you know very intentional like making it about a host that was just overly invested in having a podcast because it's just this physical thing that uh you can always kind of come back to and and remind yourself that like it can make these weird moments where the stakes are so high, but they're also so low in a weird way, you know where like a town is being taken over, but the host is really worried that he's not gonna be able to get good sound like uh, while well,
0: all of the people are being murdered outside you're like God, can you just keep it down <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i love i mean I just love the, the you know the 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 weird logical things you have i think it doesn't use to or like uh, charge your laptop with a uh, with lightning bolt spells and things like that in order to. Continue it going.
1: Yeah, I just love that. There's like the weak Wi-Fi come, a signal coming from the still coming from the Burger King.
0: Do you have to go back and keep continuing to buy things at the Burger King to keep the Wi-Fi signal
2: alive? You know, no one. You know, here's the funny thing: we've gotten so many questions. We get we've gotten so many emails from people asking about things about the Wi-Fi. Definitely asking how we charge the laptop. And you're right, Usador uses what he calls minuscule lightning. I think that it just shoots at the laptop to charge it every once in a while <laughs> but no one has ever asked uh whether we have to like re-up our wi-fi time uh, with the burger king. <laughs> uh i would posit that you know we you know we don't know for sure like we think it's coming from the burger king but maybe it's someone pretending that it's wi-fi from the burger king and oh. i'm saying that as if that's a real clue, but I don't know. I'm just making that up. In the the moment, Dark Lord has been the, the,
0: the Burger King this whole time.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and then he gives his people free Wi-Fi?
0: Yeah, exactly. Or, you know, that there's... It's not so bad then. Well, you do you do have, by through the emails, you have evidence that the podcast is listened by people in, in our
2: world, right? That's like kind of oh, the yeah. So it's... Yeah. And, you know, we've even done runs of episodes where we're like trying to solve riddles in the tavern in the world, like there are things hidden in the tavern that we're trying to find and trying to get people, you know, listeners to, to try to solve them and send in uh Send in things. We've tried hiding things, actually hiding things in around Chicago for people to find. In real oh, life, way? Really? I was wondering about yeah.
1: Burger King traffic in the Chicago area. Very are well, it's very like It's also sniffing around trying to find a portal.
2: It is actually, you know, we do re- we do call out a specific Burger King oh, as Burger King. It's at the corner of Irving and Clark in Chicago, which because it's just the one that was relatively close to the Improv Theater we used perform at a lot, and people. Uh, around the, when people visit Chicago, they always tweet at us like we're at the Burger King with like pictures Nothing's of
1: them. Nothing's
2: happening. Uh, and then if you visit the Yelp page of that Burger King, which I did not know was a thing, but apparently (laughs) there are specific Yelp reviews for specific Burger Kings or fast food restaurants, but people are always adding like Yelp reviews of that Burger King being like, it was great. Uh, I walked to the back and suddenly, you know, uh, I got a mead and there was a dragon. No way. Put in these like in jokes about it uh, in the the Yelp reviews. That's so funny. Great.
1: That's amazing.
2: I love that. I love and I love the hiding of
0: things in, in real physical locations for, for super fans. Like uh yeah. It, we you can have a lot more fun uh with that too. I, I, yeah. I don't know. Cool. It's very cool. I wa- I want to jump in and start organizing that. One <laughs> and as a game designer, I bet you're like, Oh, this is gotta be fun
2: too. Oh yeah. I mean only if only we had I mean, I would I would have loved to have gone fully down the whole real life game, like real world game uh track. Uh and if only, you know. We weren't all a bunch of people with full-time jobs. And, you know, I've got, like, a four-year-old. So uh, if only uh, – but I, that would have been so fun, right? Like, just, to, like, a game for everyone to kind of try to solve, like, in, uh, you know, in parallel with the show itself. Yeah. That's, that's so
0: cool. Maybe a future season you can kind of, like, organize around that. That'd be really oh, actually, yeah. really cool.
1: Have you ever – as a game designer, who doesn't have any time to do this, I acknowledge – but have you ever thought about um, taking it to a different platform and maybe – like turning Foon into a real campaign setting that people could play in outside of their imaginations.
2: I think that would be fantastic. Uh, I think it's a combination. Yeah. And we've had some, like, we've talked a little a bit about it. Like we, it's, we've gotten some offers to do various things, some things we can talk about, some things we can't. So I generally... <laughs> Just, Just don't, don't talk about I, it because I feel like if there's certain things you're like I can talk about everything, but I can't talk about this thing because that's the the real thing. Yeah, uh, but you know I think I think that would be great. We have a we also had a brief spinoff podcast. Uh, where, you know the the role playing game in the world of Foon is offices and bosses, where you know a wizard is very excited to play a marketing manager as his. <laughs> uh, and uh, we did like a six, we did like a, we've done two short, short seasons of that on Stitcher Premium. Uh, and that is a lot of fun. And a lot of people have been like, God, I would love to play In uh, yes. bosses module. Um, we're totally, I mean, totally into it. We just got to find, we just got to find the time. Nice.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, we don't know anyone who could help out with that. Maybe Shelly. Don't know. <laughs> really fun stuff uh, uh if people haven't uh I, I you mentioned the chris perkins episode is a good drop-in and i think it's true too i think i don't think you guys go too far down into the uh the story but really any episode you can kind of jump in because it's such light touch continuity that you know yeah part of the fun is every,
2: that- yeah every once in a while there's a real crazy one but most of the episodes like part of the joke of the show is also like we do a lot of signposting and and recapping and exposition stuff uh because again like my character wants to boost the listener numbers of podcasts in a magical world. So someone might be like, oh gosh, I just, my whole town, ta- I'm really not doing well. My whole town was destroyed. And the host is like, yeah, and for new listeners, your town was destroyed by a big dragon that killed everybody. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Like, uh, which is kind of a fun sort of
0: right. It falls into the interview trope uh, yep, type yeah. thing as well. Uh, but that's awesome. So you know, where uh, uh, where's the best way for people to to jump in if they want to uh, for hello from the magic tavern? Not like as a website you know, URL type. Oh stuff.
2: yeah, I mean you can go to hellofromthemagictavern.com com or you know you can just go and search hello from the magic tavern and whatever uh, you know Apple Podcast Stitcher whatever pod catcher you use uh, and you know look around for one that looks appealing by title. Or if you're really like, I'm in for a long journey of things, you can start at the first episode and go from there. There's really, there's no wrong way to do it. It's not the wire, you know,
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's your tagline from now on. We're not the wire. Yeah. Uh, And what about you yourself? How can people find out about uh, Arnie and what you're doing?
2: Uh, you can follow me at Mister Arnie, Mister Spelled Out, M I S T E R A R N I E on Twitter. Um, you can follow Jackbox Games on Twitter as well to see like uh, what games we're working on uh, for next year. We're working on some really cool stuff uh, for the coming year. Uh, those are really the best places. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. Uh, always great to hear
0: uh, about creative podcast and this is one of the ones that I think definitely struck a nerve and uh, I think a lot of our listeners will, will, will dig so yep, uh, sure. hopefully people jump in and then we'll see a whole bunch of uh, you know magical land of the Forgotten Realms podcasts and things as you know the, uh, the pho shop rent in Renton here has got a dimensional riff going on probably too
1: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Fun
2: Thank stuff. you so much for having me on and it was so That's good uh, to talk to you again.
0: Awesome. Well we'll see you later Arnie. Later. Thanks
1: Arnie. Bye bye. <laughs>
0: Uh, this has been a very fun episode yes. of Dragon Talk. I think, I, I'm, for those of you who don't watch us live on Twitch, there has been hilarity happening here in the studio office.
1: You should watch us live Luckily,
0: Shelly is no longer crying from laughter. No. But there are... There's Just crying. Banana shrapnel all over the table. I, uh,
1: somebody threw a banana at me.
0: <laughs> that shall banana remain peel. banana peel, correct. Yeah. Yes.
1: Not like a banana. That'd That'd would be, that would be crazy. That would be Horrible. that'd be crazy
0: i think it fits really well with our uh, theme of uh comedy improv podcast uh it was great to talk to me yes. and and pick his brain i love um uh everything about you know comedy in general but there's something about improv that it's just great to be like how do so you scary. do it and, it's so scary tell us about it
1: um i think if he, after he listens to this episode he's probably going to ask us to join his his improv troupe
0: i think he's yes yeah i mean it's it's a, it's a moral imperative I'm like
1: this is probably the last Dragon Talk that we're going to do because we're going to go on the road (laughs) and do improv.
0: Improv. Banana. All over the world.
1: Yep. Or maybe you'll see us next week.
0: (laughs) At this this exact same time (laughs) as we do all the time. Uh, well, thank you for listening and bearing with us and all that fun stuff. But would love to uh, make sure everyone spreads the word about Dragon Talk if you can. We're we're um, trying to do that uh, right now in this period, as we always do. But you know, there's there's always good fun stuff for people to learn about Dungeons and Dragons, about the D and D community, as well as lore and uh, sage advice and our new random character yeah, generator. Yeah. We'll uh, got A great a reception. Got a great reception. People yeah, we're going to do another one, uh, I believe, next week. Cool. Uh, we're recording that next week so that should be great um any other fun stuff that's going on in uh betrayal uh legacy we were number four right betrayal
1: house on the hill trail
0: house on the hill is number four
1: of like board games
0: board games sold, in, sold in stores in February right yeah right that's a great okay. yeah amazing because it's like a, the
1: company that it was in
0: 15 like to year to old. Ride and and Catan and like Catan, all these like, like all heavy like, hitters, yeah Number yeah. four. Guess what? Betrayal is a heavy hitter. My
1: baby. Your baby. My baby. Yeah. I'm
0: very proud to see it in there. It is good stuff.
1: Um, and we need to play Betrayal Legacy. Hopefully next week we can
0: finish up this haunt. I know. We've been in the same haunt for a long time. We've had lots of travel back in and out. So uh, yeah. let's make it happen. We're doing it. We're doing it. And then I think we should go in the next haunt right after that. Immediately. Immediately. you know, yeah. And try to bang it out.
1: Like we're oh, We're so close.
0: We're so, so close. close. <laughs> Rob Dabio. and I know things things that you guys
1: don't know that it's going to (sighs) blow your little minds. You do. I don't know like everything, but but I know some
0: components that are in there because you had to price them all out.
1: (laughs) I do know them intimately, and there's like something coming up that you guys better appreciate so much.
0: Oh, we will. We're going to appreciate it better. I'd better. Okay, but you got to give some signals so that we know what to appreciate. I'm like this. When you start crying out of your eyes with laughter, uh, that's when you're supposed to be appreciative. Yes. We can make it happen. All right. Well, if you haven't uh, ever played Betrayal at House on the Hill or Betrayal Legacy, perfect time to jump in. It is a really great board game uh, that blends the storytelling and choices that you have in RPGs, really. Uh, And, uh, yeah, with a little bit more of a horror trope theme to it. Yeah. Yeah. It is amazing. You'll love it. And there's a betrayal at Baldur's Gate out there. If
1: you like a little D and D with your board games.
0: Exactly. Yeah, got the same kind of feel and themes of uh, of of a be- betrayal, by adding in some fun D and D moments and tropes and classes and things like that.
1: Yep, and and special powers and spells.
0: Too. Yeah. Right. So you can play as a druid, as a bard, as a yeah. as a, all those things. Do it. In Betrayal.
1: At we should play Baldur's that again Gate. too. We should. I'm just fun thinking
0: game. about that. Yeah. yeah. Let's get in there. All right. And, uh, of course, if you want to find out everything about Dungeons & Dragons, you can go to the website, DungeonsAndDragons.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, at Wizards underscore DND. Uh, you can ask me any questions you want. I'm at Greg Tito. I will answer all of them, uh, especially you what's do? coming out next. If you want to ask, you know, I will always tell people about that, especially in a public forum. Uh, and, Shelly, what about you? What are, can people ask you questions about what's the next Avalon Hill game that's coming out?
1: Yeah... Except I can't tell you. Oh. <laughs> Not for a I was being while. facetious. You but in general, do it. At Shelly Moo on Twitter or Avalon Hill 2 on Twitter. Uh, on Twitter. Or we're both on Facebook. Facebook it up. Facebook it up.
0: Yes. And uh, Dragon Plus has an amazing issue out for February. It is uh, an app that you can download on your Android or iOS device and get, you know, um, Uh, Really great articles, insight, interviews into stuff that's coming up with Dungeons & Dragons. There's tons of Goals of Saltmarsh preview content there now. Get in there. Download it uh, and it it can get on your phone with some fun notifications when new things pop up. Yep. Or you can check out that content on dragonmag.com on the web, uh, accessible in your browser.
1: And we also had a a great conversation with Kate Welch about Saltmarsh.
0: We did indeed. On yes, that's right. That was that was two so weeks look ago. Look that up. Look that up. That was a
1: super fun one.
0: Delve into it.
1: And the first time you guys did the random character generator.
0: That was right? that's right. We recorded that um, two Fridays ago. Yeah. Jeez. And uh, we also talked about the WizKids Kids Falling Star ship that's available oh, now. Yeah. Uh, two fifty available in game stores. So cool. uh, By two fifty, I mean not two dollars and fifty cents, but two hundred and fifty dollars. Definitely pricey, but it is worth the uh de- because of all the detail and uh craziness oh, and ability to the play hours on of I mean entertainment. How many times have you wanted to have a ship like that and uh, uh and use it when you're uh in a D&D campaign four. On, on the high seas? Like at least 4. Yeah. 4 times. And uh, now it, you have it available to
1: That's you. actually what I pictured when we played in the um Yeah. Salvage Me too. Operation. Yeah, Operation too. What's it called?
0: Salvage Operation. Salvage Operation. Yes, right. which is a chapter in Ghost of Saltmarsh.
1: Yep. That's uh, what I pictured in my so, head.
0: So yeah, you can look for that adventure that Shelly played in uh on our YouTube channel, on D D YouTube, uh, as well as almost all the stuff that we do uh for the videos of Dragon Talk and uh basically everything that happens for the D and D Twitch channel ends up on our YouTube page. So check it out.
1: D D's everywhere.
0: It's everywhere, people. Yep. Uh how can people are we already did your your, your did you do your at Shelly Moo as well? Yep. All right, at Shelly Moo. Follow her; she's good.
1: And him; Meh. he's good too.
0: You know what else is really good is this, uh, like loose stone that I see on the I roof of like this cavern. I feel
1: like if you plucked that stone, it might not be the best idea for us.
0: Well, why not? I mean, there might be tons of bananas behind it.
1: I don't know if we should do that.
0: Um, all right, well I'll let you do it then.
1: I'm not gonna do it. I think you should do it. Well, I don't think I should. <laughs> oh! oh my god! It's, all, it's covered in bananas. <laughs>